Hello, legends. Welcome to Off Air. It's your weekly news and pop podcast where two media professionals, it's myself and Nick Stewart, sit down and pull apart our top three favorite stories of the week. We use our expertise in TV, radio, digital media, and more to uh, share some sides of the story that you might not know. Plus, we have a Facebook group as well where you can share your opinion on the stories that we talk about. The group is private, so you can join it and you can share your thoughts and it's not going to come up in your mum's newsfeed. We would love to see you in their search off-air podcast community and hit join so that you can get involved. This week, Walid Ali is in hot water about an interview with a Collingwood football player from 2017. We try to get to the bottom of is it systemic racism or is it good journalism? Plus, are Australians unknowingly condoning local slave labour and how our grocery bills might be affected? And lastly, the Crown Casino's gambling license has been rejected. Did they accidentally just build a $2.2 billion hotel, not a casino? Those are our three stories. Let's get into it. Welcome to Off Air. What is our mandate? Tim Rubin. It's super creepy to reanimate somebody's dead father for their birthday. Nick Stewart. I really leaned into trying to get radicalised by ISIS. You're listening to Off Air. I believe it's this. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, but I've started... I figure if I'm doing podcasting, I may as well go full Joe Rogan and start doing some Brazilian jiu-jitsu on the side. And ah. that's not a joke, so I've started doing jiu-jitsu. And um, I'm sore everywhere. Like, mm. th- yeah, there are not a lot of things where there's like a full-grown man pulling on your neck for an hour. And now I can't look left or right or move my forearms most this days. This is what scares me about it, because... Uh, I, I really like it as a concept and I think it would be cool to start doing, but I just don't know if I want to get actively hurt by someone else who's probably at the same skill level as me in my adult life for no reason. You wish that it was someone at the same skill level as you, but it's the, there, there are people that are so good. Like you think that you're physically fit and, you know, able to do things. Under no illusion that they are incredible. You start going, like, I was with this 50-year-old man who was a little bit overweight um, in the last class, and he, with ease, with ease, got me in a position which is called full mount, which is basically, like, your little brother, your big brother, like, pinning you down, knees on your elbows. And then the next time I'm like, I'm going to stop this for sure, and just got me, got behind me into, like, a (laughs) chokehold. It's good. It's good for the ego. Yeah, that's probably the best way. It's, I'm assuming it's quite humbling. But other than that, mm. do you gain anything from it? Are you? Do you feel like you're getting fitter? Like you said that this guy was slightly overweight. Yeah, I don't. I yeah, you get stronger. You definitely get stronger, and you're learning as well. So I'm enjoying mm. that element of it. Anyway, it's good for the brain. I read books, but but you know, each to their own, man. I you roll around. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I roll around with a man on a soft yeah, mat. You roll around with all <laughs> A couple bits. times a week. Lovely. Um, uh, I will smoke the DMT then. How's that sound? You okay, can do and the then DMT. I'll do the psychedelics. We'll meet in the middle. Sounds great. Story number one. So there was a really interesting story this week, Nick, about Walid Ali um, and an interview that he did back in 2017 with an AFL player called Heritier Lumumba who is from Collingwood. So this story has basically been overshadowed this week by Eddie Maguire's surprise resignation. So we actually haven't seen a lot on it, but I think that there's a lot in there worth talking about. Um, uh, Before we get to the Walid Ali stuff, I might do a little summary on what's been going on in the world of Collingwood for non-AFL people, which I'm guessing is you, Nick. 
Is yes. It? I mean, okay. we're all aware of it because Eddie Maguire is a national figure and Collingwood is historically a very important club to the AFL and historically very bogan. <laughs> yes, I think both of those things are fair. So, in a nutshell, Collingwood Football Club, AFL Club, has been accused of systemic racism by a number of players, including the guy that I mentioned earlier, Haritia Lumumba, and this started back in 2017. And in the last week, an independent report has been leaked Um, And the findings were that there was systemic racism going on and that there have been a bunch of other um, problems that they basically have to deal with and haven't dealt with. And this is why Eddie Maguire stepped down yesterday. So he had already said that he was going to be stepping down as president at the end of the year. Um, But with the report actually being leaked, he's basically moved that forward by 10 months. So that's basically the backstory. But again, this isn't what I actually want to discuss today. So Walid Ali of the project has now also found himself in hot water because back in 2017, when these allegations came out, he interviewed the player Lamamba and he basically grilled him, questioning the authenticity of his claims. So at this point in time, Lamamba had tried to raise these problems internally, but had basically been stonewalled by the club. And so he's decided instead to go to the media. Um, And so at the point of time of the interview, nothing had been verified. And basically, Walid Ali was trying to do that. Let's have a quick listen to the interview. There aren't many players who say that they heard that. There aren't many people at the club who say that they heard that. So that's what I'm trying to get a sense of how widespread it was. I would be very surprised if uh, with a a, a majority of players weren't aware of of the racist jokes or the nickname. But they're saying they're not. That's the thing. I mean, even well, no, no, hang on. It's, what, they're, what they're doing is consistent with the way that they have been in the past. But even someone like Leon Davis, who says, I experienced racism, H experienced racism, that's terrible, we should be. Yeah. Right? If this was your nickname around the club for 10 years, he would have heard that, surely, wouldn't he? Especially given he's sympathetic to the concerns that you're raising. Leon Davis said that he experienced the same thing, a similar thing, when he arrived at the club as a young player. He, yeah. He's not verifying the nickname. This is my point. If you're well, trying hey, to build... Walid, Walid, Walid. Let's have a look at racism. You're getting caught up on a nickname, which is very easy to do. No, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to get caught up on a nickname. I'm, what I'm trying to say is you're... Let's look at racism. Let's look at racism and let's have a look what I'm saying. So since then, Channel 10 has removed the episode from the project's online player. And now Walid Ali is facing a lot of pressure online. Nick, what would you have done if you were interviewing Lumumba? <laughs> That's a really hard question. I'm not sure. I probably would have treated it with a bit more sensitivity than that. Um, it's, that's hard. I can't put myself in, in Waleed's shoes, um, but I do know that he's got really heavy associations with the AFL as well. I think he's a first seat holder for a specific club. And so he was, He he. I remember when these things came out, and again, this was four years ago, uh, the AFL really took it as a slight against them. Uh, as a whole organization, as opposed to one specific club. So I feel like he was attacking him then. And it is a lot of uh, victim blaming, really. If you, were to, if you were to put it across to something else other than racism, if you were to have a, a domestic violence victim or a sexual assault victim up there, then you wouldn't exactly be like, well, what you're saying isn't true because the perpetrators didn't admit to doing it. So, I mean, it was handled incredibly insensitively. But I don't, I don't expect anything less from Waleed Ali. He's a complete fuckwit. He's oh, really? A, he's a vacant... Oh, you don't like Walid Ali? 
No. Gold Logie winner? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Heaps of gold. Mate, if we want to list the gold Logie winners, I don't like we could do that. I don't like the project either. It's a populist bullshit show that pretends to be this left-leaning bastion of all that is good in the world when in fact there have been studies done into the show that show it is in fact an extremely conservative viewpoint on modern Australia and and it's just a bunch of fucking inner city rich wankers circle jerking each other every weekend on on the tenant on channel 10 or whatever free to air program it's on so a bunch of other rich inner city wankers can sit there and think that they're slightly more educated than the people that watch Carl Stefanovic Wow. What? Okay. All right. As compared to our podcast, which is uh, only comes out once a week on a Wednesday. Exactly. In your yeah. ears. Exactly um, right. Okay. So you don't like Waleed Ali. I mean, I, we don't have to um, break down. I'm, I'm not going to um, go back and forth on whether or not the project is any good. Um, you think that Waleed Ali could have done this better. You think that he should have handled it with more sensitivity. What would you have liked that interview to sound like? I don't care. I wouldn't watch the show anyway. I think it's I, I I think that the way the entire project is done is just about trying to appeal to a headline or get some sort of clickbait going. I wouldn't have liked to have watched it on that. I'd rather see it on the ABC or Australian story or have him tell his own story on podcasts, which he is doing so eloquently and so well. Uh, he is a player. Heritia is um is a fantastic advocate for equality and uh, interracial rights. I think if he was uh, why grill a bloke over the nickname Chimp when he's talking about systemic racism over a period of a decade? Maybe ask about things that he could have that he thinks the club could have done better. Maybe he could have asked about social support networks that that club could have brought in. Maybe he could have asked if he thinks there is dis- systemic issues with racism in the AFL or in Australian sports or in male culture in general. Yeah, uh, those are probably just a couple of conversation starters, as opposed to fucking bailing him up about a nickname, Chimp. Um, I, I want to talk about the role of the media here because if we go back to 2017, I know that right now when we talk about this story, it's very easy to go, well, he was in the wrong because everything that Lumumba spoke about was in fact true. But mm. at that point in time, um, if we go back to 2017, Lumumba had tried to raise this internally with the club. He'd basically been stonewalled, so he said, "Fuck it, I'm going to go to the media." And mm. I'm going to put the spotlight on it this way. So this was right at the start of that ball beginning to roll. So uh, let's say that you're working on the project or let's say that you're working on anything and you have somebody come forward and basically make some huge damning allegations against a, a large body that employs thousands of people. Um, do you think that it's important that if you are that first point of contact that at least you do your due diligence to try and find out whether or not the allegations are true? Yeah, absolutely. But I think that they could have contextualized that in a different way as opposed to alienating someone that's bringing up a topic that's really personal to them and really hurtful. I think they probably could have aired interviews with other people from the club, potentially. I don't know why he had to get stuck down into drilling him for half an hour because the backstory to that interview which the uh, Heredia's manager has come out and spoken about is said that that interview was about 45 minutes long to half an hour. And the majority mm-hmm. of it was Waleed just questioning him about the nickname yeah. to the point where he actually cried and refused to go back on the project. He was wow. offered the opportunity okay. to go back on this week. He was offered the opportunity, the project reached out to him and said, Oh, we'd really like to get you on now. And which I think is fantastic. Heredia told them to go fuck themselves because of how poorly they treated him last time. So I think that that's great. I think that the project 
gets everything it deserves. I think it's a vapid, nothing bullshit show. I'm I'm getting that. Um, (laughs) Gideon Hage is a sports journalist. He said the journalists bought readily into Collingwood's campaign to discredit Lumumba because of their need for access, because of their general conformity, and frankly, their whiteness. Basically, it's being said that um, this level of Lumumba being... um, not criticised but critiqued and looked into, is basically a part of this systemic racism issue. Is that possible when Walid Ali is clearly a person of colour himself? Yeah, of course it's possible because we're always put in situations where we can try to conform with the whole because it's easier to do that. I mean, that's where the whole concept of, and again, like I'm 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 a cis white male, so... I'm not going to uh, suggest that I'm any better than anyone else because I'm not and I'm learning and it's a process for everyone, especially currently. That's where terms like Uncle Tom come from. <laughs> like It's from people that would rather uh, avoid persecution so they fall in line with behavior that is wrong. Mm. And, and, and I think that that's a prime example of that. But in general, I think we can all acknowledge that racism is a very big issue in AFL. And I'll actually target that code specifically because yes. I think that rugby league and rugby union handle it significantly better, race relations. I think the story of Adam Goods especially, it's not a secret exactly. that there are problems with racism in it. And yeah. and just to clarify as well, former Collingwood players, Brent McArthur, Leon Davis, Chris Dawes, Andrew Crowker, have all said now that they did hear the nickname chimp being used. So there are a number of players who have come forward in the meantime. Well, an interview has been dug up just today where Lumumba, uh, about early in his playing career, listed Chimp as one of his nicknames. And a lot, and, and I just want to make the point as well. A lot of people uh, have said, well, he laughed or he, he, he would take part in calling himself Chimp. That doesn't make it okay. Mm. It doesn't make it okay because a lot of people laugh out of awkwardness or wanting to fit in as well. And, and for him to now acknowledge and say that actually took a real toll on me and my um, uh, my upbringing and where I'm from, th- that's fair enough for him to do that. And, and it's been shown through this report, which again, Eddie Maguire, when he was announcing the report, said it was a historic and proud day for Collingwood. Yeah, and he described a lot of these things as mishaps. Um, yeah. which, you know, like, mate, there's an entire investigation into this, into the racism of the club that you were running. Um, one of our listeners, Natalie, actually wrote to us uh, about this topic and she said, I love Waleed Ali, but I think the way he spoke to Lumumba was pretty horrible. He was a bit accusatory when he mentioned how Leon Davis didn't even notice the racism, keeping in mind that any player of colour who chooses to sa- stand up to the club might not be ready to. With something like this, where a minority chooses to speak out, whether that be racism or rape allegations or sexism, my tendency is to side with the victim because they have so much to lose by coming forward. And Ali didn't make Lumumba feel supported as much as he made him feel attacked. So I think that that's a really nice, um, I I agree with the, the majority of what Natalie has written. My question is when somebody does come forward to the media first, there needs to be a burden of proof that is established when we're talking about something. And I personally, I would love to, um, I, I think the same as what Natalie has said, I would love to side with if there's a major- uh, minority person coming forward speaking about it, um, a- an incident, I would love to believe them um, regardless of, of what, I, I think that the majority of the time people are telling the truth. But if 1% of the time 
things are made up or exaggerated and we just wholeheartedly accept those things, then it can be incredibly damaging to the people or the reputations of the clubs or people that we're speaking about. So if somebody yeah, it certainly can, but I think people draw their own bro, bro and I don't think that the media are ju- uh, have a right to be judge and jury, and I also don't think the media have a right to sandbag people, and that's clearly what happened in that interview. He came on there in good faith thinking he was going to tell his story and then got verbally harassed by Waleed Ali for half an hour, which doesn't surprise me. Do you think Waleed should apologize? I don't care what Waleed goes. <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't. I have no respect for that man. So I, I just, I think he will say whatever he thinks people want him to say. Story number two. Uh, a lot of things have been exposed over the past 14 months because of this global pandemic. But I think one of the most interesting side wrinkles is it's exposed a strange culture in Australia where we readily accept slave labor. And that is when it comes to our regional workers visas. So uh, if if you don't know much about the way regional Australia works and, and farming and agriculture in those markets works, essentially, if you're a tourist coming to Australia, you can work for your first year And if you do 88 days in a regional hub working in a regional industry, you essentially buy yourself a second year's stay on a working visa in Australia, uh, which a lot of backpackers from the UK, a lot of backpackers from Asia do, a lot of backpackers from all over the world do. The only problem is that if you are one of these workers, you are not subject to Australian workers' rights. You can actually fall into a different bracket. So as a result, you can be paid uh, what's called basically paid on commission for how much fruit or how much whatever you pick. That means as opposed to these casual workers earning money like $24.80 an hour, which is the minimum casual wage in Australia for an adult, they can be paid as little as $3 an hour while living in extremely poor conditions. We're talking about sleeping in eight bed shipping containers and using shared bathrooms amongst 20 to 30 people. Uh, They'll do this for a three-month period, essentially to buy the opportunity to stay in our country an extra year. It is absolutely crazy uh, that this has existed for so long, but it's very interesting because of the global pandemic, we have not had tourists here. And as a result of that, over the past 12 months, uh, the National Lost Crop Register has surpassed $45 million in losses. And to put that in perspective, that's only counted from December last year, December 2020. Oh, so in like two months, three months. Exactly. Three months, we've lost $45 million in crops because no one is picking them. So it's literally just sitting there. It's in fields right now across regional Australia. We don't have any German backpackers to go and pull them off the trees. Exactly right. To exploit. Okay. So it's it's a crazy weird wrinkle. And it's a real problem because the National Party have been pushing very strongly to convince or encourage unemployed Australians who've lost their job because of the pandemic to go on what they call agricultural holidays and leave their families, potentially their children, potentially their spouses, their support networks, people who are already probably experiencing some level of mental hardship. And they're telling them they expect them to go live in shipping containers and pick fruit to be paid as little as $3 an hour. Uh, You've lived in Bendigo. Yeah. You've probably heard the stories. This is a weird thing that exists in Australia that I don't think people in the city are aware of. I don't think people who live regionally, I mean, the majority of people who live regionally don't work on farms, as you know. So, you know, the majority of people who are working 
at JB Hi-Fi or in whatever office building in the middle of Bendigo Town or CBD, I don't think that they're aware of just how exploitative these systems are. I did see one of these articles um, where somebody from the, I think it was from the Nationals Party, had said, well, people need to be moving from the city and going and taking these opportunities. I don't think that this takes into account, I, I mean, if you're a single parent, and you have mm. kids that go to a school. I don't. I don't know how you're potentially going to go and move and live on a farm and leave your kids or leave your spouse or or anything else behind. Um, yeah, it's a crazy loophole. Where do you think it comes from? Like, why? Why do we live in a? How has this just slipped through the cracks of Australian hu- human rights? Like when you said at the start, we have two standards. We have the Australian worker standards, and then we have people who are in Australia who are working but don't fall under those laws. How did that happen? Um, I think it's come about out of necessity because of the fact two of the most powerful companies in Australia are affiliates of Coles and Woolworths, and they have an absolute monopoly on how we shop. So they have consistently over the past 25 years driven down the price of most agricultural products. And so they're holding the farmers hostage. So in turn... The government has said, we need to support our farmers. And so they have made this loophole to try to encourage back, uh, encourage backpackers to go out and be exploited. Mm. And it's a really, really weird thing. And it comes down to, again, us as consumers not having a strong connection from where our produce comes from and just wanting the cheapest bottom dollar. So it comes from the fact that we want to buy milk for a dollar. Uh, and I, and I think that that then stems back and back and back and they've tried to find ways to solve it, but this is not the answer. This is not the best way to do it. And and it's now fallen as a product. And just as a side note to what you were saying before about that guy saying that also traditionally regional Australia, the unemployment rate and youth unemployment rates are way higher, way higher than in, uh, capital cities. Yeah. So he's telling people to move regionally. There aren't the jobs there. There is ice. Uh, (laughs) Well, there also often isn't actually the accommodation in a lot of these places, unless you want to live in a shipping container. I know personally that, um, the rental rates in Bendigo are some of the tightest in Australia, there literally just isn't the housing. So when a lot of people are saying, oh, you should just move regionally because that's where jobs are or whatever, there actually isn't the space in a lot of these towns um, for people to just pack up and and arrive. I did see, I saw another incredible um, screenshot of an article. I'm a part of a group called, um, I thought this was Batuta. And so if you don't know, Batuta Advocate is like a fake news website or a joke news website. And people post screenshots of articles that are real, but are so funny that you'd think that they were making fun of the news. And I saw one, it was um, Australian farmer discovers that by paying um, regular rates, he attracts local workers. Oh, it's crazy. And you're like, (laughs) how are these people only just catching on to this? Um, it is very hard. And obviously our farmers have been, uh, had had it to suffer extreme drought followed by bushfires, followed by a global pandemic. But I think it does need to be addressed uh, on a, when it comes to policy. I think it needs to be politically addressed and they need to improve these workers' rights because I would like to see it encouraged for young people to go out and pick fruit. I think that that's a really positive thing, but they need to earn good money to do it. Mm. It's, it's, it's a total, like you were saying before, it's such a chicken and egg problem because you have people who want 
cheaper fruit or cheaper produce, um, supermarkets that are trying to meet those demands, farms that are trying to meet those demands. And so it just kind of goes around in circles and circles. And mm. at some point, somebody's got to step forward and be the point of change. Do you think, I, I mean, let's say, like, I, I don't know how much the price would be impacted, but let's say the price of, let's say coals did it. Let's say they went, okay, all of our farmers, we're going to pay them realistic prices. Um, let's say everything in the coal supermarket went up by a dollar. So we have uh, a liter of milk becomes $2, two liters becomes three, a bushel of bananas goes up an extra dollar. Yep. Do you think that the majority of people would continue shopping at Coles or would they just lose all of their business to Woolworths? That's a very hard question to answer. What milk do you buy? I don't even know. I don't pay that much attention to it. And to be honest, I don't drink a lot of milk. So Ellie buys, Ellie, but I don't, I don't drink milk. I don't have cereal. Not good, man. You've got to look. What do you but, buy? What should I buy? Uh, either Norco or Mulaney Dairy. Both of those are Australian owned. They both cost a little bit more money mm -hmm. uh, and they both pay uh, their workers the correct amount of money. The so you can make ethical decisions already still shopping at Coles and Woolworths. It's just a little bit harder to do and you have to put a bit of research into it. I was lucky enough to live in Bundaberg for 18 months, which is which is a giant food bowl and agricultural area for Australia. And, and we were fortunate enough to be able to buy our fruit and veg from literally a shed at the bottom of a hill that we lived on. Great. Uh, and he could tell you exactly which farm each of those things came from. Not everyone is that lucky. And I understand that, but you can start to make decisions, find out where your eggs come from. It's harder with fruit and veg, but it will cost the least if the consumer buys it. If, if that makes sense. Like if the farmer doesn't, the costs need to be passed on to the consumer eventually. And so as opposed to the farmer shouldering a burden of $100,000, I'd be much happier paying $3.50 per kilo as opposed to $2.50 per kilo, if that makes sense. So I'd rather a 33% markup on my veggies. Now, I'm speaking from a position where I don't have children and I don't have to yeah. feed yeah. a bunch of kids each week. So I'm in a bit of a luckier position. But as consumers, I think it's important that we become more understanding of where our food comes from. I, I don't even like things like HelloFresh because you don't know where you don't know which vegetables yeah yeah um do you think that any of this is going to change or do you think that like corona is just going to pass the vaccine's going to roll out tourism's going to come back and we'll just go back to you know the way that things were that no i think too many years are going to pass i think that they're going to have to work out a way to regulate this in some fashion because i think that we won't have a healthy and consistent amount of backpackers coming back into the country for at least two or three years because the other thing is once we get this vaccine and it i actually think international travel is going to decrease incredibly mm. once 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 we're past this hump of a coronavirus because the airlines are going to have to make back a shitload of money so you would assume that flights are going to be more expensive than they were and travel in general is going to be different yeah, it probably will. Well, it, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Story number three. There's a gigantic new $2.2 billion uh, building. It's uh, Crown Casino um, that's just about ready to open in Barangaroo in Sydney. There's only one problem, Nick. Uh, yesterday, it had its gambling license rejected by the ILGA, the Independent Liquor and Gaming Authority for New South Wales. So basically, they built a giant... Um, it's just a building. It's a building... Yeah. They built a giant casino. Surprise, it's a hotel with about five floors of empty space. Mm. Um, the judge 
that ruled um, the the judges ruled that the company had systemic cultural problems and cited incidents of money laundering and links to international criminal organizations. Um, and this morning, it was announced literally about an hour ago that two board members who represent James Packer have resigned. So the secret is out. Um, apparently, casinos are dodgy. Never would have guessed. <laughs> Firstly, um, have you seen this one floating around in the news? Did you spot this? I have not seen this one very much at all. So I'm very interested in it because it ultimately... You know, as corrupt as casinos are, so are governments. Yes. So at some point, surely James Packer is going to find a way to convince some lobbyists to throw some money in certain areas and it will get its license. You would think that there's no way it can sit there empty. Yeah. Well, it's not going to be empty, but it's going to be a, it's a hotel and some restaurants at this point. Yeah. Can yeah. I just play devil's advocate? Now, I'm not a fan of casinos and gambling in general. In fact, you mm. are probably more of a fan of of gambling like you you yes yeah i gamble you gamble I, I, I gamble in casinos and i also gamble using an app i understand it's one of my vices i understand it's it's not a great thing i'm fortunate that i'm not someone who's addicted to it uh i only gamble small amounts but i, it, I it makes life fun i don't <laughs> i don't gamble kind of as a blanket rule i've gambled mm. one time i was in vegas on a boys trip and i put a hundred dollars on black on the roulette table and i won and, hey. that, and that was it and I was like, done. And then I watched them gamble and I drank the free drinks that they bring you when you're at the table. So anyway. You know, if you did that every day for 45 days and you just played your winnings once each day, you could be over a millionaire off that hundred dollars. This is, this is not <laughs> good advice for people. And this is how addictions start. <laughs> um, really? So tell me more about this. Um, just to play devil's advocate. So again, I'm not into gambling, but. Do you think it's fair to give a company the green light to spend $2 billion on a building and then tell them that they can't use it after they after it's built? No, obviously not. And obviously there was handshake agreements that were in place that have yeah. somehow come undone, which is very curious. So I would say that they haven't greased the wheels. Is it fair to say that New South Wales state politics has always been pretty corrupt it's so <laughs> dodgy like it's really the it's pot so calling dodgy. the kettle black they're going oh we've done findings and we found that there's like blackmail with the casino yeah who do you think they're blackmailing the government exactly. i mean you it's don't you. you don't have to be well i think that they've probably blackmailed and money laundered to a lot of places including yes. like i said before international criminal organizations which there is mm -hmm. evidence of um but you don't have to be I, like sherlock holmes to look at when they brought in the lockout laws and they decided where the cbd was and where yeah. those lockout laws would affect and they literally if you opened google maps and looked at where it was it went along the street of the casino and around the casino. So the other side of the street of the casino, lockout law, but if you wanted to go and do whatever party of the casino at four in the morning, be my guest. So well, that's the same in the Gold Coast and Brisbane. In the Gold Coast really? and Brisbane, they're the only 24-hour. Uh, I think you can't buy alcohol between like 7 a.m. and 9.30. Between 7 a.m. and 7.05. Yeah, exactly. So everyone... Uh, it, either partying in Brisbane or partying on the Gold Coast, if they want to kick on, you go to the casino at about three o'clock. So it's, it, it, it's, it's, they are a rot and they're a monopoly. Um, but they've, I mean, it's one of our inherent vices, Tim. They've been around forever. It's, yeah. it's a very human experience to gamble money. 
It's also very. I don't think that anybody has not found themselves at a casino at three a.m. But yes, but exactly. Just because we say yes, we've all done it, and yes, that's a part of our cultural experience growing up in the two thousands, doesn't mean that that's fine. Just like with your last story, where we said, well, yes, yeah. we grew up eating bananas for a dollar a kilo because it's off the work of illegal backpacker employment. So mm. I, I think just because you and I have experienced or partaken in this doesn't mean that it's a reason to just let it slide. Um, what I find really interesting about this is the findings of, of criminal links were not, I mean, the Crown Casino in Sydney, it, it's not built yet. So they haven't done the money laundering. <laughs> the criminal links that they found are across Crown Casino as an organization, which includes yeah. Crown Casino oh. In Melbourne and Perth, mm. do you think that now? Um, I mean, do, is the Victorian Commission for Gambling and Liquor Regulation going to have to look at this, and, and or the uh, Western Australian one, which I think is just a guy in a booth? Um, are they going to have to look at this? No, they won't. Think of the amount of tax that they would be making off Crown Casino, and it. And in fairness, it is sort of a reason some people some people go on gambling holidays i'm not this type of person but some people literally go to melbourne specifically to gamble yeah or when we lived in townsville there was people in north queensland that would travel and their yearly holiday was to stay at the ville uh the casino in townsville and just gamble for three days and see a show so it's a real it's 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 already greasing the wheels for state government. So I'd be very surprised if they start to walk it back a little bit. But that's what they've done. I mean, they've walked it back in New South Wales. How can you openly... They're stupid in the way they do everything. How can you you openly say that this organisation is essentially a semi-criminal organisation, but over there it's fine? I mean, we let the New South Wales Liberal Party operate, and that's essentially a semi-criminal organisation. Okay, all of your arguments so far are, that's the way it is, so it's fine. Look, all I'm saying is, I'm not saying it's not fine, but the building is there. Are you? Would you be surprised if in the next six months it gets its green light somehow? They are taking on the, um, the notes from the council um, and from the judge, and they are going to, well, they've already chopped two people from the board. One of the things is that James Packer is too involved. Um, mm. And they've said that he has an overall negative effect on on the company. Um, so I think if they take on a bunch of the feedback, they can reapply and go for it again in April. So it will be- It's very interesting. Would you like to see a casino in Sydney, a big new crown casino? Um. It's very it's well, not going to affect your life very much. It's not going to affect my life because I'm I'm not somebody who gambles. I would like for if there was a casino that it was um, probably more transparent and that there weren't. You know, we you keep saying, well, that's the way that it's always been. I don't think that the casino should have its own magical rules. When when all of these masks and things were coming in in Victoria, there was a period of time where you didn't have to wear a mask in a casino, but you had to wear it every everywhere else. I think that just because something's been dodgy for so long doesn't mean that that's an excuse. And I would love to see the casinos have to, I think they would probably have to pay more tax than they currently pay. Uh, pay. I would, um, yeah, I think that they should be hit with the same rules as everybody else. And the other thing that I would love to see movement on is I, I know that we've been talking about how fun gambling can be. Gambling can have terrible, terrible effects on people. And, and in Australia in particular, gambling addiction is a really, really serious thing. Um, well, it's cultural. 
isn't it? I mean, the most fun ads as a 31-year-old man, the most fun ads I see on TV are for gambling. Like, they're the ones that show me and my friends the most. Like, a bunch of blokes in a pub having mm. a laugh, slapping each other on the back. And then it's like, but make sure you punt. You better bloody punt, mate. You, you little bitch. <laughs> yeah, buy your friends around off the money you want on the horses. I don't, I don't, I just want to make it clear. I, I don't gamble on, uh, I only gamble on myself or team sports. So I only gamble on basketball, uh, cricket, rugby league, or I gamble on myself. So I either What's play yourself? poker or blackjack. Oh, okay. so like you play gotcha. poker or blackjack. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, you're gambling on I your own. You, I thought you meant in your own athletic. <laughs> <laughs> I like to gamble on what I'd run in a hundred. I'm doing, you know? I'm placing a multi on how I'm going to go in the next F45 challenge. Um. <laughs> I'll gamble during, I'll, when I play golf, I gamble. Uh, I play usually $5 a hole with whoever I'm playing with. Yeah, right. So by the end of it, you sort of end up, you, by the end of it, you generally end up pretty even. Usually if you're both of a reasonable level of golf together, you're not going to win. The most you could possibly win off someone is $90 uh-huh. over 18 months. Mick wrote on our Facebook page, Off Air Podcast Community, he said, there will still be a Crown Casino there eventually. The cynic in me says that this is just a formality to get Crown to clean up their act or make it appear that they are cleaning up their act, probably all planned. I said, uh, planned by who? This is on the Facebook page. And he wrote, the company would have would have to have um, known that they were in trouble. There is a lot of old, dead, corrupt wood in there. And perhaps this was just the impetus needed to clear it out. I'm not backing them by any means. I would be happy for them to implode. But I feel um, that a lot of this was completely expected. So he's basically saying that they have done this on purpose. And this was planned as a way to get certain people off the board. The interesting thing is, and I am... Never one for conspiracy theories, but he did write this hours before it was made public that two board members had resigned. So I think that that's a brilliant statement. I think could be I, right. I agree with Mick. Like I think he's probably a hundred percent right. It is. It's. It's definitely a hard and fast way to get rid of some people if you don't want certain people in your company to to actually have the balls to sling it to the wall and say we're going to take this much public heat. So you have to resign. Otherwise, that this whole thing is not going forward. It's very clever. Mm. It's, it's astute. It's astute business, which would not surprise me when it comes to a packer, because they are extremely astute businessmen. They've been here before. Um, Stephen also commented on the post. He said, "95 percent of uh, Barangaroo is retail, hotel, and apartments. Apartments are selling for three million and upwards. It's mm. a success, which I think is an interesting perspective." We started this conversation by saying, "Is this fair of the government to have done this?" The creation of Crown Casino has turned. I mean, it has been the heart of the Barangaroo developments, and it has turned that entire area i was there a couple of weeks ago when i was stuck in sydney because of covid it mm. has turned that area into an, a really beautiful spot with beautiful restaurants and that has all been spurred on by the creation of this development so not only that someone had to build all these tim so there's money in that as mm. well the, the simple fact that this development has been built has created jobs for australians so they've already got that in their back pocket and 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 knowing very little about commercial development that like bare scratching the surface, I would say that they would have made their money back on the uh, apartments alone. They probably mm. sold the apartments to cover the cost of the development. So that they would be, that they could even be open to leasing out those five floors to different things, created into a shopping center if they're really hamstrung. 
Yeah, for, for a short period of time. Daryl has commented and said, he said, they've been advised as how, how to gain access and permission to open. It's just a technicality. So I think um, I would say that Mick is right. Um, already they're beginning the process to apply again. And I would say by cleaning out some of that dead wood and maybe getting James Packer a little bit further away from the project, I, I don't think they're just going to be, they're just going to put their hand up and be like, yep, $2.2 billion mistake. Um, I think it will be a casino. It will just be very interesting to see how long it takes. And I would hope that some of these findings do have an impact on the Crown Casinos and casinos around the rest of the country. Um, Big money, man. More important people than us. Nick Picks! Do you have a recommendation of something that we should be checking out if we've got some free time on our hands? See, I'm going to be teased again. But I really like The Gentleman. I've, I've been pushing it. Have you seen it? It's the latest Guy Ritchie film. Oh, yeah. With um, who's in uh, it? It's got uh, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. It's got Colin Farrell. It's got- Hugh Grant. Uh, Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant, Hugh Grant actually acting. I've yes. only ever seen Hugh Grant in things like Notting Hill and Love Actually, where he's, you know, the same guy. He's this bumbling, yeah. like he's the good looking lead. And he is a slimy, gritty- um, very flawed detective, and I was. It is Tom Cruise, um, Tropic Thunder moment. I feel like it's that moment where you see someone doing something they have no right doing, and they absolutely kill it. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. When did you watch it? Uh, I watched it about two weeks ago, but then I've been telling everyone in my life to go watch it, and very few people will. I don't know why they're not. They're they're they're. I guess a little guy Richie'd out, but this is a real return to Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Mm. Match, rock and roller, that style of Guy Ritchie. I'm going to say that that was one of my favorite movies that I watched in uh, lockdown number two. Yeah. Ellie and I made a whole movie night out of it. We rented it on YouTube or something like that. And what I like about it, and I, I'm not going to give anything away, but I'm like a big movie person. I watch a lot of movies. And um, Ellie always thinks that it's funny because when we're watching a lot of movies, you know, when things follow the same formula, really a couple of scenes in you're like okay so that's the bad guy this is going to happen half an hour in this person's going to die da 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 and this movie um really well written really nicely directed you can't pick what's going to be coming around the corners and there are twists that you don't see i don't want to give too much away because then you'll start looking for them but i enjoyed that movie as well very much so all right what's yours my nick pick for the week i actually have two nick picks um one super practical one and one pure enjoyment one um I'll do the practical one first because it's a little bit more boring, but we spoke a while ago about how Google was starting to create essentially its own online university presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did a course. So A Google course? I did a Google course. They have the Google Fundamentals of Digital Marketing. And since I've transfer since I work in digital marketing now, my <laughs> boss was like, Hey Tim, do you want to like get an accreditation? And I said, Yeah, sure. So I did a free um, 40 hour course. It's 26 modules. It's like a proper course. Um, huh. so I, I would strongly recommend that if you work in some sort of digital space or you're interested in a digital space, uh, you can check these, check these things out. And I'm really excited to see what they continue to put out in the online education space. Mm. I think it's exciting that there is a uh, recognizable free training for people. And I think that free education is an important thing for the world. So that we don't yes. have caste systems because that's terrible. Mm-hmm. So that's my um, practical one. And then my fun one, I'm still listening at the moment. Tim Ferriss, uh, his podcast, his interview with Mark Randolph, who's the founder of Netflix. Um, oh. This guy is such a genius. He's so interesting. 
And I think that when we talk about tech, uh, we kind of hear the same names like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, and we don't hear as much about Mark Randolph. Um, and we should because he came up with an incredible, incredible concept. Um, and uh, I mean, we all consume Netflix and it completely revolutionized the entertainment that we consume today. So yeah, check that out. Really interesting to hear about his life. That's really cool. I will check that one out. Okay. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Let me know what you think. Are we trailing off? Is this how this is it? Let's end this. We're just going quieter and quieter. No, don't. What are you, what are you, what are you going to make everything weird? (laughs) (laughs) Jump on the Facebook page. Uh, off-air communities, please ask for an invite. There's great Off-air chats. Off-air podcast there. community, Nick. Okay, Say the real name. It's on the computer. Go on the computer and type in and you'll find it. And it's great to be part of. We, I, I personally love all the interactions in there. I think it's a real fantastic safe space for people to voice their opinions. Yeah, it's all about... Um, someone was asking me about this the other day. They were like, God, I don't want to be in more... I don't want to be in internet arguments. And mm. I don't think we've written this anywhere, but we kind of have a general rule, which is like you can say your opinion and if you disagree with someone, you can let them know, but it's not about arguing with people. No, and absolutely not. No, yeah, like at the start, there were a couple of instances where people were like, fuck you, you're an idiot. And I was like, oh, delete. So uh, yeah, it's a really great place to share thoughts, opinions, and see what people from other places in the country think as well. Jump in. We'd love to see you there. You've been listening to Off Air. Remember to like and subscribe. People are entitled to their sexual proclivities. <laughs> <laughs>